You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. What are you drinking tonight? Oh, man. Nothing, actually. I don't believe you. I haven't had a drop in two days. Wow, that's really well done. Here's... Oh, oh that's not right. My anniversary was yesterday. Uh, we opened up a 2005 uh, Shadow to Charm uh, Rosé Sparkling. Nice. Yeah, not so much. I think the cork uh, it it made it made a hiss rather than a pop. So the cork I think had let this one down. And uh, then we opened up uh, Cola Alto Rosé, which was from uh, Italy. That was really nice, really fresh, lively. I got a chance to taste through the uh, Bachelder Saunders Vineyard 2013 Chardonnay. Who did? I did. And. You'll have to check AndreWineReview.ca to uh, see your score, but it's going to be a good score. It was yeah. very good. All right. Okay. So are we going to record now? Oh, we're already recording, Michael. Oh, well, how did I not know that? That's why I already uh, name-dropped AndreWineReview.ca. Follow me on social media at AndreWineReview. Oh, Andre. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. And uh, it's been a while since you and I have sat down and riffed on a topic uh, because we've had so many interviews lately. And that's great. We love we love talking to people. We love that uh, people want to come in and, and talk to us. And uh, so do it more. Send us emails. Uh, if you have a winemaker coming to town, uh, we'll see if we can fit them into the schedule, which, uh, you know, we're always uh, we try to accommodate. But uh, Andre, I've really, I've really yeah, missed I've really, this, Michael. I mean, there's I mean, nothing I love more than yelling at you when you're wrong. Well, okay, so let's see if if I'm wrong here. I have a thing I've been noodling in my head lately, and uh, you and I have kind of touched on the topic, but never really gone in depth in any way. And I'm starting to believe it's true. So here it is. I'm going to throw it on the table. Let's see what you think. I believe that Riesling is on a downturn and not just worldwide, but I'm more talking about Ontario. It doesn't seem to be the in-grape anymore. Ooh, I mean, that's sort of a tough one because I know we've talked about it in, in the past, but in general, I mean, the problem that we have in Ontario is the fact that we're so good at so many things and I think things like Chardonnay, thanks to I4C, and sparkling wine, frankly, thanks to just really good winemaking, have become front and center when it comes to winemaking in the province. And, and uh, of course, you know, our, our climate just screams sparkling. But it, it, also, also, screams it also screams Riesling. Chardonnay, Pinot also, Noir. Also screams Riesling. Uh, Riesling. It, it screams a lot of a lot of grapes. I just think Riesling is really been punted to the curb, and I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to be full time or we're going to bring it back one day. You know, it's it's just one of those one of those things because even um, as a writer, when I get a chance to go down to Niagara and visit the wineries. I always look forward to certain wineries when they have their Rieslings available to pour. Places like Vineland, um, Featherstone, Megalomaniac, uh, 30 Bench, uh, even Trius with the, the Showcase wines. 
Uh, Chateau de Charme, they recently just released a really kick-ass Old Vines Riesling. I mean, there's a lot of really great Riesling in the province. And even when I've written columns, whether it's for Torontoist or, or, or for whoever, I mean, Riesling is one of those wines that there's really no regret with opening them young. But if you decided to start building a, a cellar, it's definitely something you can hold on to to do uh, a bit of aging to it. And if you go back to a previous episode of this podcast, you can listen to Michael and I go through some uh, old bottles of Riesling. And, and some of them held on very well. And, so, and some of them didn't. Some of but, them did not. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, well, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, with the focus being so much on Chardonnay these days, on, uh, on, uh, on Pinot Noir on Cabernet Franc, on sparkling wine, that there's nobody really holding the flag up for Riesling and touting it like they used to. And I, I don't know if, if everybody knows this, but there used to be something held at, at Brock every couple of years called the Riesling Experience, which was a great way to bring in uh, winemakers from around the world and talk Riesling. And that seems to have also dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, where is that experience? And they're like, I don't know. It feels like it's been three or four years since we've had the last reason experience. I did not know that. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Uh, and uh, I know I haven't been writing terribly long, but I've certainly been writing long enough to know that if that, ex- if that existed, I would have known about it. Yeah, it was it was a fabulous uh, thing. One year they brought in a bunch of winemakers from uh, from New York State. Uh, they brought in people from Alsace, obviously from Germany, from places that made a lot of Riesling, and it just seems to have, have dropped off. Which makes me believe that Riesling is is no longer a hot grape or an exciting grape for winemakers. And sure, they're making it because there's always a call for. I'm not. I'm not saying that all Riesling is sweet, but there's always a call for sweet wine, and we get a lot of you know tourists who are expecting something white and something sweet, and people want to make something that they know they can grow very well. Hence Riesling, and they can make it in a variety of styles from dry to sweet. So that if somebody comes to your tasting bar and says we're looking for something white and we're looking for sweet, and hey, here's a Riesling. But I just don't see Riesling anymore as Ontario's calling card. And you I'm know what? I think I think you, I think you just hit a nail on the head, though. Is just the fact that Riesling's time has never really come. I mean, even uh, with people that I speak with, when I talk about opening a bottle of Riesling, I'll get some you know raised eyebrows before I bring the bottle to the table, where it's just like, oh, I don't really like sweet wines, and it's just like. I mean, Riesling is definitely something that's misunderstood because even really good off-dry Riesling tells a story of of balance. And uh, I know we drop his name a lot in these podcasts, but Brian Schmidt is someone who definitely understands that. The, um, uh, the Elevation Riesling from Vineland is consistently one of the best Rieslings on the market, not just from Ontario, but on the market, end of sentence, end of paragraph, like... It's balanced. It has a little bit of residual sweetness. It's something that could age in a cellar. But, I mean, yeah, if you're going to ask me if it's sweet, yeah, it's a little bit sweet. But does it taste sweet? No, not really, because it's got that great acidity to follow it up. And I think that's a, a, although, a problem although, that Riesling will always have. 
Uh, and it's going to take a long time to kind of bust through that preconception that Riesling's about more than just the sugar content. Although, you know, Brian does make two other Chardonnays, which is a, a dry and a, and a semi-dry. You just said Chardonnay. Is that a Freudian slip? Oh, my God. Did I say Chardonnay? You did say Chardonnay. Oh, my God, man. Take that again. I'm, I'm leaving that one in because that was a Freudian slip. But anyways. So... No, he makes a Riesling, a semi-dry, and he makes a dry Riesling. And, um, you know, he's he's hedging his bets on it. I'm, I'm looking for those wineries like Cave Spring, uh, 30 Bench, who their calling card is Riesling. When you walk in the door, that's what they're, they're, they've got a lot of. Cave well, Spring, I mean, we, I mean, we, I mean, we talked to uh, Len Panicetti, and we know he's got seven or eight different Rieslings. You walk into 30 Bench, they've got at least four different Rieslings on the tasting menu. And see, and that's the interesting thing is because um, even after talking to Len and doing the interview, and he refers to his winery as the house that Riesling built, but for myself, I still gravitate towards the Blanc de Blanc sparkling that Cave Spring makes, the amazing Gamay that they make in the general list at the LCBO uh, the Cabernet Franc that they that they make as well, and it's just the like yeah, yeah. The estate Franc is is, but it's delicious. just like I, I get it, I get it. They make a lot of Riesling, and it's a very good Riesling. But when I walk into the doors of Cave Spring, it's not what makes me uh, to steal a Michael Pincusism. It, it's not what makes me jazzed. Well, it's unfortunate because that's what they want you to be jazzed. But when you make seven of something of one particular grape, you have got to be jazzed about that when you're walking in their door you want to try those reasons you want to see what the difference is you want to you want to taste the either the sweetness or the dry or the minerality but i i guess i'm i'm looking for somebody to step up and defend riesling as ontario's grape still and if you're out there get in touch with us on social media uh you know send us an email if you want love to read something on air that says no I think Riesling is still Ontario's grape. Well, here, okay, now here's the, the real, real devil's advocate question is, do we really want Riesling to be Ontario's grape? And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having it, with growing it, and being able to, to sell it. But, I mean, if the market is just not interested in it, I mean, we could champion it all we want, but does the market really care about Riesling? Do people love Riesling? Well, I, then I ask you... What is Ontario's grape? Chardonnay. I don't think it is. As much as we'd like to believe that it is Chardonnay, because there is really great Chardonnay, there's other places in the world making great Chardonnay as well. What you want is something like uh, what the Australians did. They took Syrah, made it their own, called it Shiraz. We want something like what New Zealand did, which is take Sauvignon Blanc and make it their own. What uh, the Argentinians did, which is take Malbec to call it their own. We have a grape here already, and we could start the argument if you want, but I think we should kind of cut it off. But I think Cabernet Franc is Ontario's grape to use as a calling card. No, I, I know that you're right. I mean, it once again comes down to the problem, though, that the Ontario climate is just suited to too many grapes because I can still remember quite vividly talking to winemakers in Beaujolais that they there feel, I could argue with you also, but I, but I mean, I, 
but okay, just, but just let me finish. Just let me finish. Is is in Beaujolais they feel too restricted in working with only Gamay and Chardonnay. Like you literally have paired the varietal options down to just two. Where I mean, there's certain things in Ontario we can make an argument for, but I mean, you and I we've talked to that there's at least five, maybe six, depending on who we talk to, that do really well in the province. Do we want to make it legislation that you can't experiment or no? Do, no, do I'm not saying no. Things? I'm not saying legislate it, and we're off the Riesling topic, and and I I really want to. Come but but back I mean, it, it. but I mean, it is part of the, the picture. Like Riesling has fallen out of favor, but it's something we do really well. If we were in France and the French government came here, it was just like, nope, this is Riesling. You must grow Riesling. And as the government, no, we will no, do what we can we to help solve it. What I'm saying is that if we are to, you know, take the world by storm, we need something that nobody else is doing. Hence, Cab Franc, because you can name Riesling countries. You can name Chardonnay countries. You can name Pinot Noir countries or regions. You can name Shiraz countries. You can name Malbec countries. You can name all of these Who's doing Cabernet Franc? And you're going to say France. You're going to say Loire, but the but, but no, but, but I mean that's the thing that. though. But I mean that's the thing though. Is it's uh, I mean it's even kind of like Cahors in, in in France. You talk about Malbec, and the average consumer will talk about Argentina. It's still a niche Correct. market, and uh, I mean all, it's, it's it's one thing when, all, you, when you when you taste these wines, especially when you get get serious into it. Um, I mean, they grow they grow it heavily in Bordeaux. They grow it heavily in the Loire Valley, and Niagara wines are neither Loire nor Bordeaux, but they're equally delicious. I mean, they, they, there's no comparison with the Cabernet Franc that we're doing in Niagara uh, versus what they're doing anywhere on, on the planet. And I mean, we're starting to see Cabernet Franc in Prince Edward County pop up and that is growing quite well and it's it's interesting and that's a little bit more if we want to draw comparisons like Loire style and you talk about Lake Erie North Shore Cabernet Franc from Lake Erie North Shore is the bomb um, and I mean if you want to check out some great wineries even the generalist Pelee Island Cabernet Franc is one of my go-tos and Musedre makes amazing Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon well yeah I would agree with that and the Lake Erie North Shore has the the temperature and the climate uh, that makes reds more uh, appealing, whereas I would say that their whites are not as appealing. Uh, and it just happens to be the way it, it looks. It's it's like the Rhone Valley for me. Uh, Rhone Valley whites are okay, but their reds are off the charts. Uh, you know what? I don't think you'll ever get, get me to admit that the reds or whites are better in Ontario because we do so many great things with whites. Uh, I think with, I'm talking regional, I'm talking regionally. I'm not talking, um, uh, that we don't do great whites in Ontario. What I'm saying is the Lake Erie North shore whites are okay to middling. Some make some really good whites, but I think red is their forte. And that's, you know, what they also know because they can make a better because they can, uh, grow longer, and hence the reds come out better. Uh, they get two, maybe three extra weeks on both ends of a growing season than, say, Niagara does, and definitely from Prince Edward County. So, Michael. So, Andre. Is Riesling passé, or has it not had its time in, in, the, in the sun yet? My thought is that it's passé, but as I said, I'd like somebody to step up and tell me that I'm wrong. Well, I'm not sure who is going to be the person to uh, champion the cause of of Riesling 
But um, like I said, where I'm do you not... fall, Andre? Do you think it's passe, or do you think it's time is still to come? I, I think it's time is, is still to come, and I mean, it is a bit of a challenge just in sort of the incarnations because we have, like I, I said earlier in the podcast, Vineland, Featherstone, Megalomaniac, Chateau de Charme that consistently make great rieslings, but it's almost a bit of a. Um, a bit of an, an enigma because these wines are still really well priced. I don't want to see them go up in price because they'd be hard to sell. I mean, you've got Taz doing interesting things with, uh, you know, sparkling Riesling in, in the spark. But, I mean, where else is there to go with Riesling? I think there's lots of places to go with Riesling. But, I mean, who's going to be the person to do it? That's what we're asking. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. Not drinking Riesling tonight. And that's a shame. You can subscribe to this uh, podcast. You want to do that little spiel that you do because I don't listen to you at that point. <laughs> you just tune me out. Yes, yeah, subscribe to yeah. the podcast on iTunes. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Send angry emails to Michael Pincus. Uh, you can phone him at home. If you uh, direct message me on Twitter, I'll happily provide his phone number. Uh, hey, hey. Anyways, uh, how do you usually end this thing? Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.